Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Peter Rollins as he continues our series, Do You Believe in God? Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hello, Eastlake. Uh, it's good to be back. I mean, I say back, but I'm still here in my apartment, <laughs> but back with you in some sort of virtual way. Uh, I've done uh, this one other time, I think it was around July last year, and I've been to your uh, community a few times as well in the past, so I have a deep connection and love for the community, the people who uh, facilitate what you do. And so I appreciate that you keep inviting this crazy philosopher guy uh, to chat. Uh, I'm part of a series called Do You Believe in God? And I want to chat a little bit about that. I mean, as you can imagine, there's lots of interesting ways that you can take that term. And I'm sure a lot of the people in the series will take it in different ways. So what I want to do, uh, understanding that I'm very limited uh, in the time, is I want to take a kind of a, a, a philosophical look at this phrase. Um, it was actually something I was asked about a year ago. Somebody asked me, do you believe in God at a party? And we got into this long conversation and it was very convoluted at first because uh, where I was starting um, as a philosopher with that question was different from what the person was intending when they asked the question. And it was only during the conversation and afterwards that I kind of figured out the issue. And the issue is basically that uh, in classical terms, a philosopher doesn't start with the idea of, is there a God out there in the world? Uh, they start with the concept. So whenever someone says to a philosopher, do you believe in God? Uh, what can often happen, what I was thinking is, do I believe in the concept God? So I'm gonna start there. It's a very simple place to start, right? Like, well, yeah. There is a concept called God, right? We may argue whether God exists or not, but we wouldn't be able to ask the question, do you believe in God, if there wasn't a concept or a pile of concepts that use that three-letter word. So a philosopher starts with the notion of God, okay, the concept of God. And then we have to ask, okay, what does this word mean? So what I want to do is introduce you to the work of Anselm, great scholastic philosopher, and look at how he answers this question. And I think it's going to be useful and interesting, and it might help us understand what we might mean by that term God when we use it, if we do. So for Anselm, in his book, The Proslogion, he gave a definition, a one-line definition of God, which was that than which none greater can be conceived. 
Right, so that was his famous definition, a very uh, classical definition of God, that than which none greater can be conceived. And the reason why he says it like that is, first of all, he's saying that if there's anything greater than God, then what we're talking about isn't God. God is the greatest thing. Whether God exists or not, put that to one side. When we use the concept God, we're not talking about beings. We're not even talking about super beings. We're not talking about maybe some hyper intelligence who's created a simulation and we're all in it. That wouldn't be God either. God, the name refers to the ground of all being or that out of which everything emanates. The, that which is greater than all. Right. So Anselm starts there. Uh, he also says that God is that than which none greater can be conceived, so as to avoid saying God is the greatest conceivable being. Right. And that this is key. So this gets interesting, right? Um, uh, we're going to do some philosophy. Uh, if God is the greatest conceivable being, then I can think of something greater, which is something that is beyond conception, right? So God can't be the greatest conceivable being, because if God is the greatest conceivable being, then there's one more thing I can conceive of that's greater than that, and that is that which is beyond conception. So what Anselm does very cleverly in the Proslogion is he says, okay, let's think about how things exist. They can exist in basically one of three ways. He says, something can exist in the mind, but not in reality. So if you're watching this, you'll see there's some paintings by an artist, John McCormick, uh, in the background. So before those paintings existed, they existed in his mind, but not in reality. Like he kind of conceptualized them. Uh, if we think of uh, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes exists in the mind, but not in reality. Then Anselm says, there are things that can exist in the mind and in reality. So whenever uh, the artist painted those paintings, they now exist both conceptually and in the world. And this, by the way, is how we encounter almost everything in our day-to-day -day life. Uh, philosophers call this poor phenomenon. Uh, what that means is basically, Everything that you encounter, whether you're watching YouTube or you're cooking or whatever you're doing, you can have a concept of, you can grasp it in some sort of way, right? Um, in philosophy, I'm just going to do a little detour here, uh, Kant uses the terms uh, concept and intuition. And he famously said, concepts without intuition uh, are empty and intuition without concepts are blind. Uh, and what he meant by that is he says, if I have a concept cat, right? so I have a concept is in the mind, I have a concept of cat, uh, but then I don't ever encounter a cat. I live somewhere where there are no cats, I don't have access to television, so all I have in the, is a concept. It's very empty, it's not rich, right? there's not much to it. But on the other hand, if all I had was intuition, and what he means by intuition is your experience of the world, your encounter with it, with singular things, smell and taste and touch, right? You encounter things and you intuit them, you experience them sensually. If you only uh, intuited a cat but had no concept of a cat, it would be blind because you wouldn't know you were 
experiencing a cat, you wouldn't be able to distinguish it between a dog or uh, a wall or anything like that. And so Kant said basically to be human is to have concepts and intuition. And, and think about it like a circle. You have a concept of a circle and then you encounter circles in everyday life. But you never encounter a pure, perfect circle, right? The perfect circle is in your mind, is a mathematical idea. But every circle you encounter in reality is less than that. And in a similar way, the concept cat can never be fully filled up because you know, you're not going to encounter every cat that ever lives or that ever could live or ever, ever has lived. So the concept is kind of this purer form and our intuition kind of begins to fill it up, right? And that's our everyday experience of life. Then Anselm talks about a third way that something can exist. And he says, something could exist in reality that cannot be contained by the mind. And this isn't talked about very much in philosophy, but this is what the mystics talk about. And there are some philosophers who have done really interesting work on it. Uh, there's a philosopher, Jean-Luc Marion, who has. This is the idea that intuition short circuits the concept. It's the idea that something can happen to you that is so uh, overwhelming, uh, discombobulating, that your uh, mind cannot conceive it, cannot understand it. Now, this is the beginning of some very common concepts we have, like trauma right a trauma is an event that happens that you cannot symbolize that you can't put into words so it's an overwhelming event that kind of fractures your mind it short circuits you it's a type of counter experience if you think of an experience as something that you can have that you can grasp in some way that you can you kind of master then we're talking about something that is a counter experience. This is something that masters you. This is something that overwhelms you, that you can't get a purchase on. It, it, you don't name it, it names you. Now for Anselm, if God exists, God is something that exists in reality that cannot be contained by the mind. Now, this is one of the earliest forms of theological atheism. And it's called theological atheism because Mystics like Meister Eckhart would say that every time you say God, you say less than God. That the word God is this name of something that cannot be named. And religion plays this really interesting game in which it tries to speak of what it cannot speak. And at its worst, religion becomes idolatrous, which means it tries to pretend that it can grasp this encounter with something overabundant, tries to you know, name it. But at its best, it's a semi-permeable membrane, a type of veil that you can partially see through that both protects you from this experience and also keeps you open to it and keeps you in a space of inviting that experience. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. 
Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. Now, all of this to say that that means for someone like Anselm, when a person says, I believe in God, what they might be saying is, I feel that I have experienced something that I cannot understand. Not only can I not understand it because of a lack of uh, reading, right? Because there's, there's ignorance that comes from not knowing something. And we all have that, right? There's lots of things that we don't currently know, but we could know. Um, I love watching videos on YouTube of things that I know nothing about. Areas, disciplines, whether it's computer technology, uh, bio, microbiology, whatever it is. Just watch something randomly that I kind of have no understanding of. It's quite enjoyable, but right? it, it teaches me how much uh, I need still to learn. But that's not what Anselm is talking about, right? There is the, the ignorance of a lack of reading or a lack of study. And someone like Anselm is not going to advocate for that. But then there is an ignorance that comes from being overwhelmed, like looking at the sun and going blind, or a ship, one of the mystics talks about a ship sunken in the depths of the ocean. And the mystic says that, that while the ship contains the ocean, and the ocean contains the ship. The ship contains only a fragment of the ocean, while the ocean contains the entirety of the ship. Right? That's the saturated phenomenon um, of Jean-Luc Marion. So to say you believe in God is, is not to make some sort of argument for something, right? It's not making some sort of like logical, kind of clear kind of, this is why I believe in God. It's saying that I feel that I have been overwhelmed um, short-circuited. Um, I have been thrown off course and onto a new course. And this in religious language is called revelation, capital R revelation. Revelation is not an understanding, but rather a happening in which you are no longer the same, but you can't quite put it into words why you're not the same. I mean, even if you think of parables as an example of this, a parable is a type of story in which uh, understanding it is not the point, but rather being impacted by it. Right? Uh, Soren Kierkegaard once said that uh, some religious scholars are like uh, music, uh, kind of musical scholars who know everything there is to know about a piece of music, but they haven't experienced it in their body. And in the same way, a parable, you can read it, you can understand it, but there's an idea that you're supposed to be overwhelmed by it. Maybe going, I don't quite know what it means, but, but it touched me, it moved me. If you see a piece of art that you love, you might not know why you're moved by it, but you feel this overwhelming event happening. So that's the mystical experience. It's the overwhelming of intuition over concept. It is the 
the incoming of a reality that cannot be contained by the mind. And that idea is very sound. There's nothing kind of wrong with that idea. And religion is a way of, at its best, giving us a theopoetics that allow us to, in some way, like poetry, uh, navigate that experience in some communal way, to remain faithful to it, to remember it, to memorialize it uh, in our lives. And as I mentioned, this is also a form of theism and atheism, because then every time you say you've grasped this, you have to deny it, right? And every time you name it, you have to dename it. Every time you nominate, you have to denominate. So again, for Jean-Luc Marion, he talks about the importance of nomination and denomination. To nominate is to say, God is love. And to denominate is to say, but that love is not like I understand it. It's holy, it's other, it's set apart. And it's interesting that churches are called denominations, right? The place to denominate, the place of a certain learned ignorance. You see this in the work of Thomas Aquinas, who wrote one of the greatest pieces uh, in the, the history of the world, right? It's widely regarded as one of the kind of his summa theologica, his, is this, this piece of work that is um, a, a masterclass in thought. And at the very end of his life, he went to mass and he came back and said, everything I have written is but straw. I shall write no more, right? This was an experience of learned ignorance an experience of being overwhelmed by something that cannot be rendered into some sort of symbolic form. Now, the other thing about this is not only does it mix theism and atheism, it's, um, this is not the sole uh, playing field for a small group of people. This experience of being overwhelmed by a piece of music, and by a piece of art, by some sort of sense of an of a overwhelming presence is part of what it means to be human. It's an experience that many of us have. I think that all of us have in small ways, in different ways in our lives. This is not just for some chosen small few. There's something about being human in which we are at times overwhelmed. And sometimes that can be negative. Sometimes that can be positive. But there is an overwhelming dimension to being human. And the religious life can be seen as a community that attempt to make space for that, uh, to create a type of poetry, music, words, prayers that allow us to uh, find our way within that overwhelming experience. Uh, Carl Jung, I'm, I'm not a big Jung, Jung fan, but uh, he, he said uh, once that religion is a defense against God. I think that's a very interesting quote. Uh, the idea being that, if, if I kind of put it into different language for a second, is if God is the incoming of an event that we cannot articulate or even experience, an event that short circuits our experience, then religion is a type of way of kind of shielding us from the full frontal assault of that type of experience. And that's a good thing. Too much protection is bad, too little protection is bad. We need a way and a language that allows us to have, as I say, a semi-permeable type of membrane, a type of movement back and forth with that. So all of this to say, 
from the question, do you believe in God? We start, and I started by saying, well, let's say, do we believe in the concept God? Okay, yes, there is a concept God. And what do we mean by the concept God? Well, we mean something that uh, is greater than anything we can conceive. Something that is inherently beyond conception, that inherently cannot be grasped. And the religious life then, when everyone says one believes in God, is to say, I feel that I have been grasped by that which I cannot grasp. And that doesn't mean that I can say I'm theist or atheist or this or that, just that I sometimes feel grasped by something beyond all conception. And that, that experience is awe-inspiring and sometimes anxiety-inspiring, but it is life-altering. And I want to be part of a community and part of a, um, a space in which I can sit within that in some sort of way. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.